friends, colleagues, and playful partners, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Cheryl Harris-Simchuk from Carleton University. Cheryl, welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We're uh, we're really excited to get into uh, learning about your work today. I know, uh, well, I know of it what I do, and I think it's really damn cool. So I'm excited to chat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Cheryl, why don't you start us off? Uh, what is it exactly that you do in, in a couple sentences? Sure. So um, the specific focus of, of, well, this particular episode and an explanation of what I do um, it will be on how romantic relationships are maintained on a day-to-day basis and the importance of play. The importance of play. I love that. That's so succinct. Uh, that's perfect. What exactly is play in, uh, in a relationship? Right. So play is often you know, discussed in the context of children's relationships, but more and more people are recognizing the importance of it in, in adult relationships as well. Um, so play means a variety of things, but the way I see it is that it's a leisure time with your partner that is fun and interactive and has an element of exploration. The key thing here is that everyone likes to play a little differently. Um, so it can mean things like day trips, bike rides, uh, sex, salsa dancing, concerts, escape room events, going to a play. Um, so there isn't just one thing, but it's more so the qualities that these leisure activities have that's important. That's really cool. Yeah. So when we're talking about... Um you've kind of alluded to a number of different uh, play types or play events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll we'll dive into this as we keep going. But are there play types that are better than others? or Right. Well, in my research, I'm approaching this from something called the self-expansion theory. And with the self-expansion theory, which is a bit of a mouthful, essentially all it gets at is this idea is that not all leisure time is equal. There are some types of activities that allow you to see the world, see yourself, and see your partner from a new perspective. And oftentimes, these activities that allow you to do that are considered exciting activities. Or another way to think of it is activities that are now novel and arousing and something that you're doing with your partner and and these these types of play activities versus um, perhaps others that that have less of these qualities um, in my opinion and in at least the framework that I'm approaching this work um, are, are meant to be better ways to play to have the, the the maximum effect in terms of improving your relationship that's really interesting Cheryl so so before we jump fully into the work that you're doing on, on play and relationships. I'm kind of curious as to why you started looking at play specifically. So what was there any leading or was there any reason to look into play and like, was there any causes? Like, so I know yeah. we know, we know that you do research in boredom. So yeah. I'm curious as, is this kind of just leading from your boredom research on saying, you know, what, what's going on with relationships that aren't as great or are, are reporting yeah. boredom? Yeah, that's correct. So I started this work on, um, what led me into the work on play was my PhD thesis work on relational boredom. And what led me to the study of relational boredom was that I was interested in the challenges that couples face in maintaining and sustaining a happy relationship. And a lot of the work in the past had been done on conflict and avoiding the bad things in a relationship. But there was less work at the time on the good things that you can add to the relationship and the associated challenges with that. And so this is why I started my work on, on boredom. And, uh, and with the work on boredom, the focus is on what's not going right with your relationship. And inevitably, I started to think about, well, how can we reduce boredom? 
what are some of the things that you can do on a day-to-day basis with your intimate partner to help avoid that? And that's what led me to the work on, on play and the positive and uh, novel and arousing leisure activities you can do with your partner. Mm-hmm. And, and so boredom is such an interesting topic to me. I, I really like that you're taking this positive approach because often, uh, you know, researchers t- tends to look at the negatives, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what's going wrong in the relationships, what's, you know, what's the negative health implications, what's the negative mental health implications, things like that. Uh, but looking at the positive or how to improve those things is really interesting. Um, I'm curious, what does relational relational boredom look like? I'm thinking, you know, just on a day to day basis, like I'm bored. I don't know what to do. You know, what what should I have to eat? What should I do tonight? Those mm-hmm. kind of things are like what mm-hmm. I think of as boredom. But yeah. what is relational boredom in the way that you measure it? Right. That, that's interesting. Yes, because I um, yeah, there's there's boredom in general that a person experiences, and then I need to find a way, or at least I, I hope to find a way um, that that characterizes boredom in the context of a relationship. So mm-hmm. for me, uh, relational boredom is a way to characterize the, the quality of your relationship. It's a low growth state that is not rewarding, and it's characterized by feelings of disinterest, feeling like your relationship is a chore, uh, feeling that things are not as exciting as you'd like them to be. And boredom can be thought of as an end stage of the relationship, like this, like you are bored to death, I don't know why I'm with this partner, or in the case of my research, it can be something that fluctuates in the relationship and can potentially serve as a signal for action, ideally some constructive action. Right. Interesting. So, so, so when, a, when, when a person you know, has boredom, say, in different aspects of their life, does that kind of carry over to your, the boredom within the relationship? Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. if someone's bored with their work or bored with their, their social life, would that carry over uh, directly to a relationship or can someone be really like not bored? What's the opposite of bored? Just excited, I guess, excited with their relationship. Interested. Yeah. Excited and interested. And, and, um, uh, a bored state in your relationship, the opposite would be a growth state. So feeling like it's flourishing. Yeah. I like that. I like that, that phrase. So, so, so flourishing or growth in a relationship. So you can, can people experience growth within a relationship and then everything else be bored in their life? And that doesn't really impact the relational boarding boredom. Well, I think this is a fascinating topic that I have not studied enough, Mm. and nor do I think that other people have studied enough in this context. So um, you brought up this really interesting point about how your life outside of your relationship can impact it or vice versa. And so I don't don't have the answer to that. Um, Mm. I suspect that what goes on in your intimate relationship might impact that might have a stronger effect on what's going on outside of your relationship. I, I can't speak with a lot of confidence to this, but yeah. I have given it some thought mm-hmm. in the past that I thought it might like just if the relationships are really important to you, like intimate ones. Mm-hmm. And, and if, and if something is going wrong there and you're bored, I don't see how this can make things good outside of that. That right. being said, you know, the relationship or intimate relationships aren't the only people in a person's network, like important uh, friendships or family relationships are, are also vital to our, our health and well-being. And, and so I can, I can imagine, like one of my thoughts was that it might, people might compensate. Things yeah. are not going well in the relationship in terms of excitement and interest. And then they might find friends to do that with or family members to, to have that aspect. But I guess ultimately I'm saying that if we want to achieve a, a like a flourishing, intimate relationship. If we want to reach what I think many people's ideals are, not everybody's, but what many, um, I, I think that, that, that it would be hard for the things outside of the relationship to, to make you feel better and, re- and, re- and reduce the boredom. Like it, maybe in the, short t- in the short run, 
yeah. right? But maybe maybe not so in the long term. If that if that continually happened, I I, I think that could be problematic. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that seems to make a lot of sense, right? Like, if if you're having if your relationship is sort of floundering, then yeah, it, it will have consequences outside of that, and and yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense intuitively, at least. Yeah, right. and I think there's there's a little bit of research in health psychology as well that uh, looks at you know stress spillover and crossover mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your, your different you know work life to to home life and your relational yeah. aspects. So I think that definitely makes sense that you know if you're having really good if you know if you're flourishing in your in your occupation or with your social life and then you come yes. home and you're not necessarily flourishing your board um there might be spillover on days where you know you're you're feeling really good and you might bring that into that relationship or yeah. the opposite might happen where you know you're having mm-hmm. a board day you're not you don't feel like you're flourishing and then you bring that into the relationship where it also affects you yeah uh, yeah some of the work that i'm familiar with is um is from an attachment theory perspective and it's this idea that our intimate partner and in an adult romantic relationship, um, that, that this serves as our attachment figure, much the same way that our primary caregiver did when we were an infant, like our, our mom. Um, <clears throat> and so the research that I have heard about uh, has focused more on this idea of the potential good that um, a, um, a flourishing and relationship filled with security, what that can do for you outside of the relationship. So part of being in a relationship is not just spending all your time with and getting everything from your partner. It's also important to go off and explore the environment, right? Have your own mm-hmm. hobbies and passions and interests. And so the research that has looked at this to date has focused more on if things are going well in your intimate relationship, then you could use that as a springboard and go off, explore uh, and explore more in the environment and become an interesting person. And then as a seg to my latest uh, grant research, um, what I hope to look at is whether those experiences of growth outside the relationship without your partner, whether you bring that back into your relationship and then that allows you to, your partner to see you in a new light. Yeah. Um, before we move on to, you know, how to fix these problems that we're talking about or this yeah. boredom uh, is, you're, and you're going to hate me for asking this. Okay. Why, <laughs> why do people get bored in relationships? Oh, what what is the re- is it is it because of you know you say that uh, it's it's tightly linked to relationship satisfaction is it just that they're not happy in their relationship and that creates this kind of stagnant or lack of motivation to do exciting things right yeah we we don't fully know why someone gets bored with their their partner but <laughs> yeah. we do have a theory or at least the one that i'm using and it's this idea that you're not proactively maintaining your relationship with these novel and arousing experiences with your partner and so earlier I mentioned things like play activities, right? These, these fun things you can do, but there are many other experiences that can contribute to this, right? So having children, um, moving in and, 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 and buying a home and decorating it together and, and many other life events, you know, these allow your relationship to grow and help to um, help you to see your relationship and your partner in, in a new light. But the, the angle that I'm coming at this from is that that might not be enough, like just taking advantage of these natural transitions, or it might be for some people, but for an average couple, things start to settle down. And it's important to keep in mind that whilst feeling um, secure, feeling uh, comforted, feeling safe and, and doing familiar things and routines, these are all very healthy things for the relationship. But it's also important, in my mind, to also promote things that help your relationship to flourish, like really go for those positive things that allow you to have some of those feelings like you did at the beginning of the relationship when you were learning these new things about your partner and yourself. Mm-hmm. Sort of recapturing the sort of uh, the honeymoon phase. Trying to, yeah, in, yeah, in some ways, yeah. 
extending it, making it not necessarily just a honeymoon phase, I guess. Well, uh, like we, we, we wouldn't want the honeymoon phase to last forever. Like we wouldn't get, no. we wouldn't get anything done. Like it's very distracting <laughs> as wonderful it is. Um, and probably if you were to ask anybody at those initial stages, like, well, do you want this to end? You'd probably say no, <laughs> but yeah. like looking back, you're like, oh yeah, I'm a lot more productive. Like I'm, I'm reading a lot more. I'm getting more work done. Yeah. Um, like after the honeymoon period. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think people want at least an average person, right? Doesn't yeah. want to sustain those ex- those exact same high levels, but it might be nice to have those reminders every now and then. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah, yeah, I can appreciate appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I do love the. I mean, this is just an aside, but what you talking about attachment theory and the idea that you can have like the secure base. Mm-hmm. I love that because. Uh, it, it works perfectly in, in the way that the attachment literature is kind of developed is that it, it's being translated to adult relationships and romantic relationships. Right. But it, start, it started with children, right? And the idea yeah. that, you know, you're comfortable with your mother or your caregiver or your father, uh, and you're willing to kind of go and explore and talk to strangers and you know that you have that safe base. And, and, and you can develop way. competencies, right? Like it's yeah. vital for the child's development, at least from an evolutionary perspective, to go off and explore the environment, uh, develop mastery, and, yep. and so that they, they can move grow up to uh pass along their genes right, and have their own offspring yeah i think i love i love it because i think of uh now i'm thinking of relationships where you know you have some a secure child that was you know comfortable with their, their parents and they were able mm-hmm. to explore and do these do these things on their own uh and then you have you know, you think of your, yourself like everybody can think of themselves and i think of how they are within romantic relationships mm-hmm. are you comfortable to go out and do things on your own do you want to go and explore and develop things on your own knowing that you have that safe base or are you kind of more of that avoidant attachment where you're kind of scared are you you're more aloof uh, yeah. or like the anxious or the anxious yeah. people are, who might really want to go off and explore but are worried that yeah. this this might create a rift in the relationship and and that uh, you know it would be threatening yeah, absolutely and i think everybody no one's 100% of the way to to secure or anxious Correct, you know yeah. there's always there's always a little bit of mixture of all these things yeah. uh, and and everybody's a little bit of but all th- all three or all whatever yeah. all four of them i think there's a disorganized as well right <laughs> but, yeah uh, but uh, and i feel like i'm constantly seeing myself as disorganized in in a million ways <laughs> um <laughs> but uh, yeah, i think i just i just wanted to mention that i think it's interesting because uh, it is you know we do talk about an environment. We talk about the impact of, uh, you know, early childhood and family and, and it's kind of, there's a lot of parallels with the attachment theory and, and how you react in, in a romantic relationship. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a little spooky too, right? To think it that it, like something that's out of your control from those early experiences could be shaping you um, as an adult. But at the same time, that's the way temperament works too, or some personality variables. That's, these are the cards you're dealt and they, uh, they, help, um, they, affect how you interpret the environment and how you uh, behave in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's get away from attachment theory for a second. Okay. <laughs> um, and let's, let's start talking about, uh, let's start talking about play. So, so sure. how do we stop being bored in relationships, I guess, is the question we're trying to answer here. <laughs> right. Um, so the advice that we can give now, and I'm always hesitant to give advice because as a, mm-hmm. Well, as aspiring uh, ideal scientists, I'd like to, I want more data. I'd like to collect it in different ways. But what, at least theoretically, and what some initial evidence suggests, is that um, it's important to in, not just spend time with your partner, not just engage in pleasant and comfortable activities, but engage in activities that allow you to have fun, um, to explore the environment, and to discover new things about yourself, your partner, and also to see your relationship in a new light. And so the idea is that if you do these things, 
um, not necessarily every day, no one is providing that advice, but if you find a way that works for you to incorporate them in your repertoire, um, then this can potentially uh, buffer you against some of the inevitable relationship satisfaction declines that happen for average couples. Mm -hmm. So I have a question and maybe it's, it's better saved for a bit later, but I'll ask it now just sure. so that I remember it is can, can couples like oftentimes you hear about couples who will instill something like, Oh, date night, we're going to do date night right, once right. a month or whatever. Right. Does something like that when, when it starts to become routine, you yeah. know, Oh yeah, we're having date night. Does that suddenly become less playful and, and more part of the, the typical routine? Like, do we see that kind of uh, those sorts of events buffering against this kind of boredom? Yeah, we, we don't know enough about um, assessing people's date nights over time to be able to say that, you know, the act of, of, of scheduling it in for a Friday date night, that that could have some potential downsides. I mean, my, my thoughts are that I could see it going wrong. I could see like the forced element of it. Or if you're not cre um, developing creative dates or dates that your partner likes too, I, I could see that backfiring and and then and then you might your expectations might be higher too if you're creating these date nights you're like well tonight is supposed to be a lot of fun tonight <laughs> is supposed to be rekindling that passion from the beginning and then you know you've set your expectations too high and it falls short of that um but that being said you know there are risks there and i'm interested in, in looking at them when i in my, some of my research when i look at the challenges of date nights right i think that's really important to study but um i think that it doesn't my guess is I don't think it hurts to plan things, um, but plan them in a way that allows you to have some spontaneity and discovery. So as an example, when I go on a vacation or a day trip, I'd love to spend a lot of time researching what restaurants, what activities we're going to do so that when we arrive, those hard decisions are out of the way and then we can just be in the moment. Uh, there can be just some discovery along the way, but there's at least some some structure, some structure to it. And and then the other thing I think is, a, is it shows a care and responsiveness in your relationship that you're willing to be committed to some quality leisure time. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know whether, whether that's a bad thing. I, I think for the most part, it, it probably has some net positive effects to make the effort to at least have some leisure time. But I also could see it going if a, let's say a couple has been thinking about breaking up for, for some time, like it's a, it's a concern. I could see these these failed date nights being mm -hmm. used as further reason to end the relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah certainly. Almost the the ammunition. Uh, that yeah. You yeah. Yeah. And and when you have that in the back of your mind as a couple, I imagine you know the idea that oh we we're on the edge, right? We need mm -hmm. to have these positive like interactions. Oh right. Yeah. Positive play, <laughs> and then they have these fixed dates where they're like, okay, this better be good. You <laughs> yeah. know, like yeah, I think that that they're already bringing in their preconceived notions and they're, you know, yeah. they're already biasing what's going to happen by having that negative, uh, you know, perspective going into that date. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my research question was what, um, promotes play in relationship, right? You can, you don't want play all the time. You want it to be at the right moment. And one of the things that I looked at early on, um, was whether boredom prompted people to engage or plan novel and arousing activities with their partner. Like, you know, you're low in the tank, for excitement and so it's time to fill it up but I've, I've i found mixed evidence i found that like people know what they should be doing when they're bored like if you ask them what what should you do or what should other people do they know what to do right and mm -hmm. some exciting date nights but when you 
ask them about the likelihood or when you actually track their behavior and in, in like from day to day, being bored is not a good prompt for doing something novel and, and exciting with your partner, right? Instead, what there is more evidence for, and this makes sense with other work, is that when things are going well, it's important to capitalize that and build on that. And so that's why I mentioned before about, I think it's more about proactively maintaining rather than waiting until you're going to visit a couple's therapist and like things things have been not going well for quite some time and you know you're at this critical stage and then somebody tells you okay I'll have a date night but there's so much there's so much chemistry that that is missing at that point right it would take a real real special date or or, so, or something to really shake up those old patterns to to get to get past that so I, I don't know I'd like to I'd like to know if there was something that could shake that up I suspect it's like some of these activities, but I also recognize the the challenges with with starting cold in some ways. You know, like like waiting when it's it's so bad to jumpstart your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I, I imagine if you had that secret recipe as to how to fix relationships, you'd be <laughs> highly coveted all around the world. <laughs> right, right. Be, you wouldn't have any moment alone because people no. would want to talk to you all the time. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? This advice is all over the internet. You know, just spice up your relationship. Just <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I really like that perspective, though, because, I mean, going in, I'm like, uh, my thought with your work is that, you know, you, you, you research boredom and you research play and relationships. So I thought it was intuitive yeah. that, you know, if you're bored in a relationship, just doing more fun activities and, and having these positive play interactions might, you know, just fix things. But, right. but the fact that, you know, you make a great point is that it's looking at it proactively opposed to reactively, you know, in response to a bad relationship mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense for the longevity of a relationship, right? Because if you're already in a bad spot, having a good date might be great or it might, you know, it might prolong things for a little bit longer, but it, you know, what's the next date going to look like? What's yeah. the next day, What's the next interaction going to look like? Right. Those things, uh, those have to be built up and there has mm-hmm. to be some sort of foundation that's rebuilt uh, when mm-hmm. you're in those situations. And I, and I was wondering, um, I haven't looked into this, but leading up to the date night, uh, you know, rather than just wait for that to be the place with all the fun and the laughter, I was wondering about, um, I haven't studied this, but this idea of adding these playful moments leading up. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like foreplay, but in the sense of like, just for leisure activity that way. So you can, yeah, it could be right. Cause a form of play is sex, but that's not the only yeah. thing I'm talking about here. Yeah. Um, but, but it's these ideas that you, idea that you could uh, just like lighten the mood and, and maybe a little joke and leading up so that it's not so, it's not so cold when, when you start up your, your date night, right? You've, you've had these moments throughout the week. To, to lead up to that i don't yeah, know yeah, what, yeah. what form that will take though but that, that's what i that's what i suspect well i can imagine i can imagine too um you know if we take a step out of date night mm-hmm. you, you mentioned things like day trips as being one yeah, one thing yeah. but i'm thinking like a popular activity here in vancouver with the mountains so readily available is hiking yeah yeah and, and so if you're going out for a day trip and you're going hiking yeah. perhaps some of that sort of pre-activity foreplay could be yeah. doing things like uh going in going together to choose what kind of trail mix you want yeah, or yeah. going to get your hiking shoes or like like just little mundane things that yeah. kind of are are, comp- are components or part of the actual experience that you're going to have. But I could see that those would be really effective potentially uh, in terms of building up to that. Yeah. That, that I'm, I'm not sure about you, there. but that's the best part of doing an activity or a hobby is getting all <laughs> the gear and, and like, like doing all the planning and buying the foods, like foods is, that's a key thing for these, well, at least for me. 
so, <laughs> so I, I agree. Yeah, all the, all the lead up, right? That's that's all important yeah. too. You're not just leaving it to that that one uh, that that one event. Yeah, and so Cheryl, this is interesting yep. to me because uh, you say that's the exciting part uh, is, prep- <laughs> is preparing for it. I'm highly conscientious, so this is not not surprising. But. Yeah, yeah. Let me play the devil's advocate on this. Okay. One. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, what about other? What about you know? I think uh, different people have different perspectives on you know preparing for dates and you know this kind of like spontaneity, right? Yeah. You, know, you you guys, that's a great point. Is like this setup, like this predetermined date night. Yeah. Um, some people, you know, hate the idea of structure in that sense, and they don't like to yeah. plan things. They like just things that happen sure. spont- spontaneously. Uh, and then there's others that like to plan things. So yeah. who's who's benefiting more, you know, from these, you know, play interactions if you have to plan for it uh, versus, you know, these like just random occurring, like, okay, let's just go out and do something. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between these two people? Yeah. Well, so far, the way we've looked at it, I, uh, so far, we've just focused on the person doing the planning and, this, right. and looking at how some people might be better at it than others at planning creative dates. Um, but what the next step is to look at, uh, and not only just having them plan it, but we also follow up with them and see what their experience of the date was from their, uh, from their side of things. The next mm-hmm. step is to get the partner's take on it, right? Um, and, and, and ultimately, so you bring up a really interesting research question that's next in the, next in the hopper to, uh, <laughs> to examine whether, whether the planner likes the date better than the, the I'm not sure what you call that, the, not the planee, but the other the person that is being receiver, more surprised. Yeah. The receiver, thank you, yeah. The receiver, the silly me, um, to, uh, to have the dates, right? So on one hand, the person that's doing the planning could pick something that they like, uh, and they might and they might have the fun with the planning, right? Like someone like myself. On the yeah. other hand, not everybody's like myself, and may, might just want to be surprised, but it might not be something they like. And so I could see it going going either way mm-hmm. what i find it interesting is some um there's this company in ottawa i'm not sure if it's still around but they planned dates for couples and I, it could be for established <laughs> or or new ones but i just thought that was so neat that they yeah. would you'd pick a budget this could be a very small budget right uh not um it could be dates for for free obviously the service wasn't but the yeah. to have that and uh it, neither person would would have a chance to plan they yeah. would just uh they just create it for you so i thought that was interesting and then i i just heard about a new dating app in i believe it's it's called one doer. I think it's, uh, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. I think it's maybe from Montreal. I could have that wrong, but what's interesting with this dating app is that, um, they, they plan the date for the couple for their first meet. And they try to limit the text-based chat ahead of time. Wow. But, but, but the part that, that caught my attention was, um, was the nobody had to plan, and 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 if you're not good at planning, or if you've already gone on uh, like a hundred of these dates and you don't want someone like what else to do, it's yeah. nice the idea to have somebody else do that for you. So I, in addition to starting relationships that way, I also I'm starting to wonder about the value of of that in an established relationship and and just taking somebody else's advice and just going with it. You might not like it, or it might, maybe you don't like it, but the fact that you're going through it together and you're discovering something about yourself, I, I could see that having some benefit. One thing that I was thinking of is, you know, opposites attract. That's mm-hmm. something you always hear when it comes to people talking about relationships. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a little bit of, you know, truth to that. Yeah. Um, but what about when it comes to, you know, planning dates and, you know, having different interests on what you might consider exciting, right? So you say, you know, you're conscientious, you'd like to plan these dates. Mm-hmm. Are, are you planning for yourself? Or are you planning for <laughs> the couple, right? Like, do yeah. you, how do you balance what your partner might like 
or might not like. You know, yeah. I think of uh, in my relationship, my girlfriend likes to watch uh, musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's gotten me to watch musicals every Sunday. And that's kind of like what I've got to do. And I don't necessarily look forward to that mm-hmm. experience every time. But I'm growing as as we've been starting to watch. I start to like them more. Um, <laughs> but she doesn't like sports, right? So if I were to plan something that I would like, uh, but my partner wouldn't, would that make things worse? Would that be positive play? Like, yeah. what, how would that how would that help the relationship if it's not, you know, at immediately beneficial for or exciting for both partners? Yeah, that, that's, uh, I think that's key here is that, well, there's a few things. Um, first, you want, ideally, it would be enjoyable to both people to some extent, but you mm-hmm. bring up a great point that it inevitably, there might be an activity where one person just naturally likes it more than the other. Um, I think the key thing here is that you're showing up, right? So I think that there's other benefits too. Like, so I think that finding an enjoyable activity that you can both play, maybe there's different benefits for the relationship than if you are showing up and doing something your partner wants. That too could have benefits, right? It shows that you're being responsive to their needs. There's a little bit of self-sacrifice. So it's kind of like there's two paths or there's more than two paths for relationship satisfaction. And I guess the one that I'm focusing on um, are these leisure and play activities. And what we know so far is that it's, it's important that they that you both find it uh, enjoyable to, um, to some degree. So to, to get back earlier to what you're saying, when, when I'm planning a date, ideally, I want to keep my partner in mind, right? And um, yeah. I want it to be something that they could tolerate. But at the same <laughs> time, I also, you know, relationships are this give and take. And so I keep in mind that, okay, if we do my date this time where I like it a little more than my partner, for instance, going to an art gallery, like that's something I really like to do. My partner doesn't dislike it, but doesn't like it as much as I do. Whereas my right. partner really likes to take walks in nature and get out there. And so I like that too, but I'm more of a city gal. And so <laughs> we just have to make sure that things are balanced. And this also comes up when we're planning our vacation. So uh, we have a mix of both city and nature. And then the end result is that we have a much more interesting vacation than if we were going at it uh, alone. Yeah. And you mentioned that you use this self-expansion theory in your work as well. And that kind of, I think that flows really well in the sense that, you know, you're, you're not, you're pushing yourself by being in that relationship, you know? Yeah. You wanting to go to art galleries and your partner, not necessarily they wouldn't necessarily do that on their own probably mm-hmm. uh but being with you might allow them to expand their horizons and, and expand their interests yeah uh, and similarly you might you know be more likely to be hiking on an average week with your partner opposed to not being with your partner where you probably wouldn't <laughs> yeah that, that's my thinking so i'm glad you brought that up is yeah that that's idea that um that you you bring your strengths and you bring your interests and your passions to the relationship and that in turn can help it to grow and flourish because you're seeing these things uh, from a new light. Um, but if you're not bringing these things to the relationship or you keep bringing the same thing and, and not adding anything new, then, um, then things might become, uh, things might become stagnant. Where we're not sure is, you know, when we get into things like power dynamics, like if there's always one partner that's, that's driving the plans or it's always their type of thing. Like I could imagine that eroding satisfaction rather than enhancing it over time. So there's certainly boundaries with broadening your horizons. And I think that key thing to focus on is responsiveness. Like you're, it's a tit for tat. No, no, you don't want tit for tat. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that would be for a more formal relationship um, yeah. for, but for, for an intimate relationship, you, you want to be responsive and in the moment and, and, and actually the opposite, not 
keeping track, right? It wouldn't yeah. be a healthy relationship yeah. if you're like, well, last time we did this, so this time we have to do mine. That might exactly. not work out. But, yeah. but just overall, if you have that perception, that's what counts. Yeah, I imagine a relationship where someone's like, we've went to watch sports 10 times this year. Right, <laughs> we've only yeah. gone to the musical 10, like two times. Yeah. You need to go eight more times. Yeah, exactly. yeah that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. Well, considering there are 17 weeks of uh, regular season football. And... <laughs> that's well, a lot of musicals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, dear. Um, what happens in the long run? Because we know that relationship satisfaction over time diminishes, right? Correct. In, in most, most couples, right? Correct. Um, On average, there is a decline. But that being said, there, 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 are, there, can be, there can be people that don't experience the same level. But on average, yes. Love fades. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and as you, as you are more familiar with your partner, some of, it, some, of it, uh, some of that enjoyment, I guess, satisfaction is that sort of sense of routine. But, mm-hmm. but there's also the other side to that, which is the boredom. Yeah. But if you, if you had to kind of think about in a healthy relationship, how many, like, what should somebody be targeting for themselves oh, and their partner? Yeah. I don't know. I, and I really, uh, I, I mean, I'd love to be that person that could just prescribe a certain amount. But <laughs> I don't feel confident doing that yet. And I, I'm still sorting out this, this idea of these playful moments, right? So, if, for example, if someone's a new parent, they might not have the luxury of childcare to organize an official event, but they might still be doing well because they're having these moments of laughter and, and fun and navigating the challenges throughout the week. So I, I, re- I don't know um, how often. Like, I don't even want to say it. it's, it's once a week. Um, and, and we don't really have the, the evidence to suggest that. But here's what we do have evidence for. Um, so maybe I'll base from that. So in some homework studies, so they invite couples to participate in an experiment. And half of the couples are randomly assigned to engage in novel and arousing activities. And I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like, you know, two times a week or, or something, do, do something different. And they tracked them over a month-long period. And then what they did is they compared their relationship satisfaction before and after. And they compared that to a group of people that were still going to spend time with each other, but we're not given the instructions to make it exciting. Instead, this was more just, you know, pleasant, pleasant time with a partner. And so these are the types of, this is what we're, we're working off of. Um, but by no means have we sorted out how, how much is too little and how much is, is too much. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so that's yeah. what led me in the beginning to, to think about, you know, if you, if you feel low in the tank, I don't know why I'm just stuck on this, this idea, but it made a lot of sense <laughs> to me. It seems like it works for other things in life when you're, when you feel like you're low in something, it's time to, to boost it up. But that also sure. is not, not leading me in the in the right direction too. So, so, so unfortunately, this doctor doesn't have some prescribed <laughs> advice for, for that just yet. Not quite yet. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all right. That's yeah. there's, there's no real love doctor per se well, that yeah. can really prescribe <laughs> this right now. I don't think it's possible. Uh, there might, you know what? I'm not sure about this, but there might be someone with the name Doctor Love trademarked. I don't know. It's something to look up. But... <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of. Self- yeah. I'm sure there's thousands of self-prescribed love doctors out there. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I take your word over that. that. Okay, sounds good. I, I tried to avoid avoid that term. Yeah. 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 For good reason. For good reason. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think oh, yeah. I think another important point to kind of uh, double back on yeah. uh, that you t- that you touched on briefly was that you know the idea that both partners kind of have to be interested in this. And I think yeah. uh, in my head, I think of you know you know a lot of this is anecdotal. And I think the the beauty of your work is that everybody has anecdotes that kind of, yeah. kind of go against or go with what you're saying. Sure. Uh, and you know, you know people love mm-hmm. to combat be combative when it comes to love and relationships, right? Yeah. Uh, it's something that everybody kind of experiences in their lives. Mm-hmm. But I think of you know. I think of people like you talked about par- parents that are busy and, and people that have busy mm-hmm. schedules, but I think of uh, people saying, you know, we don't have time to do this. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. to me, I, I think individuals that say that uh, might be more likely to have that kind of boredom or relational like uh, boredom because mm-hmm. they're, not, they're, they're acknowledging that they don't, they don't have the time or they don't want to make the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that also another important part would be, uh, you know, buying into the the things that you might not necessarily like to do, right? So if your partner, if you know you don't, you know your partner's really there, and you talked about, uh, I forget how you said it, but it was, uh, you know, basically falling on sac- sacrificing, not with sacrificing, right. but like responsive? you know, sacrificing. yeah, responsive, but like you're helping your partner. You know, your partner asks you to do something that you know they like, but you don't like as much, right. but still yeah. kind of buying into it, right? Yeah. Um, that concept, you know, versus someone that goes and says, oh yeah, no, I, I do dates with my with the person that I don't like to do, uh, but they're there complaining half the time that they don't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, I see that having a huge effect on relationship satisfaction and all these other outcomes within that relationship, right? If yeah. you're really not, if you're if you're just attending, but you're not really buying into it, yeah. uh, that can have huge, that, I'm sure that could have huge effects on the relationship as well. And, yeah, uh, so I think that uh, individual differences definitely play a role in shaping the uh, promotion of, of this play and leisure activities. And uh, one of the individual difference variables that I've looked at is something called an a- approach relationship goal, which is somebody that's focused on achieving fun and having positivity and like focusing on those things in contrast to someone that is avoiding uh, pain and, and uh, rejection, that sort of thing. And that people that have these goals by trade are more likely to want to do these things so this is this is what would make them happy and so they're more likely to generate these types of ideas and and perhaps i'm also doing some work to suggest that they have a greater proclivity for this right so they they're more perhaps more creative um because they want it more and and what i don't know yet but what i'm hoping to find is that you know does it does it take two of these people in the relationship for it to work out? Like, do you need two people that have this strong fun focus or creative focus or the sense of discovery? Or does it just take one? Like, does it just take that one partner to be the spark in the relationship? And, and the other partner, all they need to do is, is show up, be responsive, you know, and, and ideally maybe they would come up with something too and provide feedback. Uh, but but it, it's interesting to think of the idea that maybe maybe it just takes that that one person to, to get things going. And, and, and you know, you're working like you mentioned earlier about this idea of opposites attract. And while there's not as much consistent evidence for that in general, I, there is this idea of you're complementing your skill set, right? That, yeah. that, could, that could definitely play a role. And, and then also from a self-expansion perspective, I meant to bring this up earlier. This, it's interesting to think of the idea that, you know, maybe it's good if you have some differences so that this can help you to, to you know, see, see the world from a new perspective, right? Like if you were identical, yeah. Uh, maybe that would help things run smoother, but maybe in the long run, maybe you wouldn't have that same growth that if there's, right. there wasn't these differences, but that being said, for the most part, people are similar in ways that they don't even, uh, 
they don't even realize and like that's the important foundation but but still the differences these little things like liking musical versus liking sports as one or liking uh, art galleries versus walks in nature this these are these little small things that that i think could help uh build an interesting relationship yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. so so this again this is a bad question but i I need to ask it okay what is the perfect date then (laughs) (laughs) now that we've talked about that there is no perfect date give us give us the perfect date what is the perfect date from your perspective cheryl oh geez oh i don't even want to divulge what my for me what my perfect date is i mean i like planning the date just kidding um yeah this this is the key thing of this work and in self-expansion theory too and just Mm. the concept of play is that it's up to you to decide what you think is ideal for you and what you like. Uh, but that being said, we've collected date or dates that people generate. And so we do have, there are themes in terms of the types of dates that people think will help them grow and will, that they think are, they're exciting. Um, interestingly, the undergrads, when we've collected some data, for the most part, we collect community data, right? Because if we're interested in, in boredom and, and that sort of thing, established relationships, we need that, right? We need to get past the honeymoon. But when we ask undergrads, they, for them, it's very exciting to do dinner in a movie. And like, it's maybe not even going out to the movie, you know, like just having pizza at home and that. Um, but, so that's novel for them. And so I was surprised. I thought they, they might have be more creative. But it's when we go to the community, that's where we're seeing dates that are perfect for that couple so but not not everyone's coming up with the same date is the thing and mm-hmm. nor does research suggest a specific thing to do instead it's more about the qualities right some ex- element of exploration um, relatively positive um, some some discovery um, some 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 adventure right but but it's up to the person and you have to take into consideration who they are that what what is their history what is their personality and that that's what's key because we all interpret dates in in different ways so unfortunately (laughs) i wish i could prescribe the perfect date but i am not dr love so i am not going to do that (laughs) so i guess that this begs the follow-up question then what has been the most unique or interesting uh, date that somebody in the community or one of the uh, undergrads have, uh, have given. Oh, I wish I'd looked this up. Oh. oh, I wish I knew that. I mean, I was surprised where people. No, no, like, I. Oh, what's that exciting date? Like they're they're going on a trip. Um, I wish I could think of something really like some people put like a really hot sex, and they've they've really thought it through and provided some details that makes my research assistants blush. But um, uh, uh, we didn't need to know that yeah. much. <laughs> well, we'll stop there. But uh, no, yeah, I love it. yeah. I, 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 you know what? I'm going to keep that in mind now for for future conversations with people about you know what. I, the other thing is I want to this information is confidential, so I can't I can't share all the specific things, right? But but still just something mm-hmm. something in general. I, I'm going to look into that. So I have a, a an answer at the ready in the future. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to I'd love to know uh, kind of some of the be a fly on the wall for some of those surveys. For yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like that you use the word, you know, adventure and, and these things, too. And I thought I think adventure for, is different for everybody for sure, uh, yeah. and, and, you know something that might not be adventurous for for one for one couple might be you know the extreme of adventure for others <laughs> yeah. right you know uh, like you know i don't i don't 
I don't even know what an example of right, when, like, like for instance like not making a reservation like for some couples that might be really crazy like just to go for a walk and pick a restaurant yeah well, first like not on the first whim. one they see but on a whim right mm-hmm. yeah that could be crazy mm-hmm. for some yeah it's like I, the, the textbook uh I, I i'm gonna pull from you know my rom-com knowledge okay. uh, I, I feel like i feel like the common like you know trope is to just be like what's the perfect date let's go to the airport and just pick a random flight and we're gonna go right. to it. you know you go to a museum like that yeah. is that sounds absolutely miserable to me yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. you're going into a city now you have once you get to that city then you yeah. have to figure out where the hell you're gonna stay what you're gonna do what yeah. you're gonna eat what's available you know all and these you things a limited time you know yeah. yeah so yeah all these things yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah all these things but i mean that's like would be the spontan- spontaneity that would be adventure blah 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 and some people would think that would be miserable right and right. so well, there's you know, more risks too. That's the other thing. So yeah. it was like that example you gave is the extreme of that where things could really go wrong, right? You could be sleeping in the airport. You could yeah, be walking yeah. around all night if you don't get that right. So you ultimately you want things to come up more positive than negative for this. And so a little bit of planning could be good, but some people like to, to push it, right? And they're just happy just sort of like figuring their way out. But I think an, an average couple wants to do a little bit more uh, planning ahead of time yeah 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 absolutely i could i can only imagine i mean i would love to see a movie that depicts someone doing that and then having a real shit date yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know coming back after having multiple fights and being like we're never doing that again right 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 yeah <laughs> i don't think it's gonna happen but i mean I, man can dream yeah <laughs> Those are funny. Uh, the anti-rom-com yeah that's okay the anti-rom-com i can get behind that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of yeah. lends into the, my idea. I, just a thought that I had before getting into, you know, talking with the work that you you do mm-hmm. is this idea that, you know, we do kind of base these, our dates or these ideas off of, you know, what we're exposed to in the media. Right. And I yeah. think, uh, you, we, I don't want to say we're hyper romanticized, but like, um, it does feel like, you know, the, the examples that we have in the media, you know, in movies and things like that are hyper romanticized and it's mm-hmm. kind of almost unattainable. It's, it's just kind of like, how can you have that perfect date where there's no awkward moments, you know, or there's no silences. It's just cause it's, yeah. it's always a montage, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, like a highlight reel. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's key. And in some of my past work, I've looked at the expectations people have. And oh. um, so it's this idea that you set the bar for how much excitement you want. And my thinking was that if you fall below that bar, uh, you will feel uh, boredom. Right. And so what that means is that, a person could not really be expecting much and and they'll just do one little different thing like maybe watch a different tv program or have a different <laughs> topping on the pizza and that will be good enough for them whereas somebody their bar might be set that much higher and and they might need to have um uh, a spontaneous vacation to have have right. those same effects so i think expectations are are key and you also bring up this other interesting point about how at least in north american culture you know I, people are being heavily influenced by um, what they see in TV and movies and what they hear, oh, also what they hear celebrities doing too, right? Like the yeah. little stories they, they read. Um, or even like their, yeah. their peers on Instagram or social yeah, media. Exactly. Like social media well. in itself. Yeah. And, and, and so it kind of, we're, we're in this, this phase now uh, in terms of like the, if we think about the history of long-term relationships, we're certainly past the just be with a partner to survive and procreate. And, and we're, pa- we're past, on average, the stage of, you know, the, the we're highly gendered, bold relationship where you idealize your partner, but you have your own separate sphere and your own, like your own world uh, where you, you have your own tasks. And right now um, we are at this, this phase where we have really high expectations, where we expect a lot 
from our intimate partner. Like we expect this person uh, to be someone that can comfort us, can provide us advice, um, can and, like be our best friend, and also be um, provide us hot sex and be the best romantic partner and things for to be like they were at the beginning, right? So in some ways, we've we've one could say we've set the bar. We've set the bar too high. We put too much pressure on our intimate romantic relationships. And so there's more and more people drawing attention to this idea that we need to focus on the rest of the people in your network and your community for providing some of those needs, like not just putting it all on, on your partner. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's really cool. I, really, I like that approach too. And that adds on to the work that you're doing as well, because we haven't really t- addressed it yet, but what about boredom in other relationships you know so like dates with your friends oh yeah you know setting up these things that you're having play with other people how does that you know it differs right because you're not putting that pressure like you said on all these other people so what's the kind of differences that you see within that yeah um so first of all with uh in an average relation an average monogamous relationship right you just have the the one intimate partner right the one uh romantic partner um whereas with friends typically people have more than one and so in some ways people can compartmentalize their interests uh with different friends and 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 also you know people have their off times and so if you start to be bored with one friend take a break from that friend and you spend it with other but this is the thing with friendships don't have the same expectations of exclusivity. We don't have the same expectation that uh, we're going to get everything from this this person. We do. Ex- people usually think that you know you're going to have more than one friend. And so, while I think it's very possible to be bored with a friend in a way that is somewhat similar to being bored with an intimate partner, just the structures of these relationships are different. Like we just have one intimate partner in a, in a monogamous relationship. That is, and. We, we have different expectations. And like, just as an example, we don't break up with a friend. I mean, the worst thing people <laughs> can do now is unfriend somebody. But even that, I mean, who is going to do that? The, just ignore them. Like, leave them in your friendship or your, uh, your friends exactly. list. But just don't talk to them or take them off your thread. Like, you don't want to start that. But with a romantic partner, you have higher expectations um, on average. And, and so that's where... That being in this in somewhat, um, you're a bit more confined with the intimate partner. So that's where I think that boredom, I think it has that, I think that's one aspect of it, like feeling forced or feeling like you have to do it. You're not intrinsically interested. And yet at the same time, you have these high expectations that it should be super wonderful. That I think that's the perfect recipe for, for feeling like dissatisfied relation with your, with your intimate relationship. Whereas with friends, I think we're a bit more flexible. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. there's more... We put more emphasis on the intimate relationships, and I think mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 so true, right? Like you, you can have a friend that you you know this is the friend that I go to the movies with, yeah. <laughs> this is the friend that I do sports with, this is the friend that I do go to the art gallery with, yeah. uh, and you know when you become bored of that friend, you, you just stop talking to them for a while <laughs> yeah. until you want, until you want to do that same thing again. Uh, they don't, you have they don't seem to mind, right? They don't seem to mind if you haven't talked to them in a, in a, in a month or even a few yeah. months, right? They're yeah. just happy to, about that because they have other friends probably themselves. Absolutely. And and then, you know, try doing that with your partner. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you, you go on a date, you're, you're bored of them. You're like, all right, I'm just going to stop talking to you for a month. Right. And then you go back, <laughs> back to the same place that you're living together. And it's not going to work yeah. the same way, right? It, and so, yeah. Well, unless you have that type of relationship. Yeah, that's not going to fly. 
Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I think like uh, general, you know, in North America and the way that we treat monogamy and monogamous relationships, it, it doesn't work that way, right? No, usually, it doesn't. <laughs> usually it's, uh, you know, you're going back and you're spending the night or, you know, you're going to be living with them, things like that. So it's uh, it's not as easy to just kind of go incommunicado <laughs> yeah. with those partners. And then here's one other thing that I just thought of. Um, so if we had, it's, it's kind of in some ways an odd thing to bring up with your partner, right? It's mm. easy when, you know, somebody forgets to, if you're living with the person and they forget to take out the garbage or they're leaving their clothes all over and you're tripping on them. That's an easy, concrete thing to bring up to the partner. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, I know. I could do better. But yeah. it's a really weird thing to bring up to your partner like, you're just not as fun as I'd like you to be, or I'm just not finding you as interesting. <laughs> that that would be really hurtful, like to the core, I think yeah. for some, for, at least for some people. And so I think that it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, that you, the, it's harder to express those concerns because they're not, they're not the key. They're not the key things for the foundation of the relationship, right? There's the, the things related to security matter more. Um, or, or at least, you know, it's more of a, um, in terms of your needs, that's yeah. like a priority. But then these play things are things that are built on top of that. And, and so I, I just think that it's just a harder conversation, harder conversation to have with a partner. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt. You can exactly go to them and be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to date night. I'm going out with the buddies. <laughs> <laughs> because they're more fun and interesting, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what a lot of people would like yeah. to say. To their partner, they would say yeah. like, "Yeah, no. I'd rather do this other thing," but they they don't, and so I think that's where things can feel forced. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I'm curious as to how that'll develop within a literature, and, and you know, the optimal ways to address that, or if people are yeah. addressing it effectively within, you know, within their relationships to be able to address, you know, his, openly communicate boredom, uh, yeah. and, and to work through those things because it's i mean there's a lot of layers to it it's really tough yeah uh, I, I mean i don't think it would go well to say no. to put it on like we know this from conflict to say like you are a boring person you are <laughs> you are not interesting i think yeah. it's a, there's an easy out for relationships in that it's an entity in and of itself so it's it's not you it's not me it's us together we're having yeah. this weird we're having this dynamic that is is not working for me so how can we work on that dynamic rather than attacking the person's uh, character or something, right? Like that, we know that doesn't work out. So I, I think that if we were to move forward with this with research, um, and, and you know what, if you were to speak to a clinician, uh, someone that deals with couples, this, these might be the things that they are dealing with. And, and they might have um, a lot of good advice based on their experience on what they would tell somebody. For me, I don't have that experience. And so I'm just basing things on what is in what's happening in the scientific literature, but yeah. I, it'd be really nice to work with a relationship counselor and have some insight. Um, part of the reason why this whole area of research got started in boredom is um, the fact that clinicians were reporting, even if not, you know, it would just be discussions at conferences or in a chapter, but they would note that this is a, a, a common problem, like love fades. And, and not only that, people feel bored in their relationship and they, don't know what to do. They don't know how to bring it up with their partner and, and navigate it. And, and, and so that, that's something also to, to consider too. I'm just thinking about this for myself. It would be, it'd be nice to get that insight from a, from a relationship counselor. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. getting it, I mean, also, you know, instead of saying that your partner is boring, I think as we talked about, you know, being proactive is usually what the approach is, right? So yeah. 
suggesting new things, tr- spicing things up, yeah. <laughs> you know, within the relationship, as people like to say, you know, uh, yeah. I, I'm sure that's the usually the first, you know, first offense and, and probably multiple, like, you know, first attempts to fix things is just to kind of spice right. things up, make something new. And then they about, don't work out and then they don't yeah. work out. And then that's the problem or one per- partner is committed to it and the other isn't. So that's yeah. why I'd like to break down this phrase, spice it up for the relationship. Yeah. Like to me, I, I like having that. It's an, it's an interesting way to communicate to people that they get it after they get over the fact that I'm not just studying sex. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's interesting to look at what are the challenges and how many failed date nights do you have to go through before you just start to give up and you don't even try anymore? So there's, there's so many interesting things to, to look into this. And uh, and one last thing that I think is really interesting within this work too, Cheryl, and it's, it's kind of stuck with me. It's, I think it was like five or six years ago. I was at a a relationship conference Hmm. and someone made the point of, you know, why not look at relationships as, you know, sometimes the best outcome is to not be in that relationship anymore. And I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that (laughs) you had a few few bad date nights, things are okay. I mean, don't jump the gun on this because I'm saying this, but, but I mean, you know, sometimes relationships aren't healthy or good for both individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, so sometimes maybe all those failed date nights is a sign that it's not an appropriate relationship. And I think like it's a, it's a unique perspective in the literature because most people are like, you know, relationship termination is not a great outcome, but sometimes it could be. Right. Yeah. And, and people, it's clear to people that if they're fighting all the time or if there's infidelity, like these clear violations, okay, yes. we can leave. But it's less clear when you're bored. Like, what does that say about you? Like, why can't you generate interesting things for your relationship? Like, it's, it's really, it's really, <laughs> it's really tricky to, tr- tricky to think about that. And, and so I guess where I'm coming at from my research that I'm about to collect is that, I want to move away from just focusing on the activities that couples do together in terms of the play activities. Like, I, I'm not saying that you don't do that, but I want to, what are some other things that people can do? Like, what can they do to work on themselves? And then yeah. they just naturally bring that in. So my thinking was, is that if you're really passionate about something, like you're really passionate about going kayaking and exploring nature, and then at the dinner table, you share the birds you saw, and your, day, your day trip that you went on by yourself. Maybe you say, oh, maybe you want to come, maybe you want to come one time, or here are some pictures. Like, I think that can help um, somebody do something that they like and that they're passionate about. And it's kind of like an easy thing to keep the relationship going and exciting without having to deal with the logistics and having to deal with finding something you both like. But I'm not trying to say don't do those things, but I'm thinking there needs to be other things that, that can, can sustain it. And then the other one is adjust your expectations. Right, like maybe, especially if you're going through transitions, like uh, new parents. I mean, that's that's tricky stuff. Like, I haven't gone through this myself, but just hearing from my friends and, and and reading about it, that's tricky stuff. And maybe you should give yourself a break. Like, you cannot be this jazzy couple that you see on the streets <laughs> or that you see in movies or that you remember that you used to be. Uh, maybe you need to get over that hurdle of. And growing a child and developing this child and and uh, maybe have playful moments instead of trying to work in these activities and and then come then come back to it. But I guess the thing is is you want to make sure that you're still connecting with your partner in in some way and maybe that's about sharing the things you do and that excite you, right? Those things that you talked about in your first dates with your partner, like when you're learning about them. So it, you gotta you gotta keep yourself interesting, in my opinion, or at least it's one way. You gotta keep yourself interesting to help help the relationship. Like. If your relationship could be a f- reflection of who you are. And if it's yep. stagnant, maybe maybe something's stagnant about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
a little uh, self-reflection and inward yeah, like, inward realization. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can't obviously put the entirety of the responsibility on the partner. Right, right. right. Like somebody has to, <laughs> you might have to actually take some of the load. Yeah. And carry some of the load to, to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Uh, Cheryl, we're at the point in the episode now where we like to ask our guests if they have any myths or misconceptions uh, about their area of work that they'd like to share with us. Do you have any myths or misconceptions? Yes, I have. I have one, and it's top to my mind, um, and it's something that comes up when I watch uh, some comedy specials. And the comedians (laughs) um, just love to talk about how men and women are so different. And, and and this also comes up, or it did come up in the past with a really popular book, uh, which you might have heard of, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. This came out in 1992. So it's this idea that men and women are not only different, but they're so different that they are separate species. And so I guess I would like to correct that, right? I, I, <laughs> yeah. right? Part of it is that I don't like some of the stereotypes that of, of women in relationship, or and I, I expect that men don't like some of the stereotypes either. But mm. more importantly, from a scientist perspective, I want to share the facts. And yeah. here, here's what it is, uh, what we know so far at least. We know that there are gender differences. So there, there's some truth there. Nobody wants to, nobody would argue that. What we want to argue with is this idea that the gender differences are so large. So there are gender differences, like things like one thing that keeps coming up is that men consistently, uh, we find that they have consistently higher sexual desire than women. Um, But the important thing to keep in mind is that for many relationship behaviors, many love beliefs, men and, uh, and women are more similar than different. And in fact, there's more differences within a gender than there are between gender. But like many other things, it's the differences or the, the, the really negative thing that, that jumps out and people spend a lot of, a lot of attention on, but they're missing the, the big picture. And, and I think it's popular, this myth, because, um, well, at least in the case of that book, myth men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's a nice catch-all for describing yeah. uh, challenges that, that people face in their relationships, at least heterosexual relationships. So it's just a, it's a nice conversation starter. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice way to bond with other people. But the research doesn't suggest that we're so different. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, really good myth because right, across everything, we're always looking at gender differences and we're curious as to what differences there are. But yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like, especially with that book and, you know, uh, the way that people treat it, I think there's always, you know, this idea that all oh, all men are this or all right. women are this, you know, all men are pigs. Like, okay, I get it. Some, some are, but yeah. uh, that you don't have to, you know, equate that to half of the planet. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's, it's not going to be a good representation of everyone. Yeah. Great. Um, I'm really happy with, with our conversation today. I, Me too. <laughs> we can probably wrap this, wrap this one up, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Were you going to say yeah, puppy? Okay. Were you going to say puppy? I, I, I was expecting <laughs> to say puppy as well. Why do we say, why do we say that? Why do we say wrap the puppy? Is that from I, like the, the pet yeah. store? Wrap it up. It's so cute. I just got to take I'm it home. I don't yeah. know. What is that? That's what? a great question. What is the origin of that? Yeah. 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 Weird. Yeah. I was going to say it and I was like, uh, I don't know why, why I didn't. Uh, who knows? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sort of. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, let's wrap this puppy up okay. then. Let's call it an episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that we will never Cheryl, find an you. answer for. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, no doubt. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this conversation has been super informative and, and very enlightening. And I'm glad that you were able to share with us your research. I, I think it's it's super fascinating stuff. And uh, I'll be excited to continue to watch for your publications and uh, hopefully at some point in the future, get you back on the program. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me today. I had, I had a great time and, and I really appreciate all your questions. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Cheryl, we'll, we'll uh, give you the floor now. Is there anybody, anyone, any series of people you'd like to say hello to, uh, shout out to, or and or uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Okay, well, I, I think I should say, because my biggest fan, my biggest fans are my mom and my dad. So I say, hey, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> and if people want to learn more, they can visit my Pear Lab website. So I run something called the Pear Lab, and that stands for Positive Activities and Intimate Relationships here at Carleton University. And on that website, people can learn about some of the research that I've done and as well as some of the upcoming projects. Phenomenal. As always, we will have links uh, to that website along with your bio and all the contact information on uh, brainbuzzpodcast.com. There you'll be able to find this episode and others. You can also get in touch with us on brainbuzzpodcast.com. You can send us an email. Uh, We check it semi-regularly. We'd love to hear feedback. Um, And of course, wherever you got this, whether it was Apple, Google, Spotify, some other service, whatever it might be, uh, leave us a review, leave us a like or two, let us know what you've enjoyed, what you haven't, and uh, we will obviously work to be better. Awesome. Okay, Drake, anything else? And that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And (laughs) until next time, cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs)